are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. I believe God wants to meet us tonight. Amen. I believe that God has saved the best for last. I really believe that. That there's just something about his heart that I believe he's up to these days, especially where there's something about pressing through and pressing forward and, and keep believing. Even when you don't feel anything, even when you don't feel like God is doing anything, even if you feel like it's in vain, but yet somehow you keep pressing through. I feel like there's something in his heart that says, I've saved the best for last, just for you. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, God has saved the best And turn to the other person and say, just for you. Before I get to the message, I mean, you could turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 beforehand. And before we jump into the word tonight, I just, just just this this moment that we had right before um, we ended praise and we were holding hands and praying. I was just reminded of what God has been stirring in my heart, um, especially the last few months. And it's just simply this question of, God, are you really who you say that you are? Or are you just someone I've read about? And that's just really been the, the question that's been burning on my heart. It's, God, are you really who you say you are? Or are you just someone I've read about? Now, I don't say this uh, like God has to prove something to me with my arms crossed or anything like that because I've experienced God in tremendous ways. I've had amazing encounters with God where, where I sensed his presence. I was on the floor and I had like electricity through my bodies. I couldn't move. Like I have, I've had these amazing encounters with the Lord, but yet there's just something in my heart that is wanting more of him. That I'm not satisfied with yesterday's encounter. I'm not satisfied with, with last retreat's experience. I'm not satisfied with even last night's spiritual high or whatever you want to call it. I just want more of God. And that's just what he's been stirring in my heart where the God we read about in the Bible, the same God that split the Red Sea. I mean, if that's still the same God today, and not only is that the same God, but that's our God. I mean, I want to see him move in that way today. Amen. If that God is the same God of Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Jesus, you know, like if that's the same God, I want to see him move today in that way. And I'm not satisfied unless I see it with my own eyes. Oftentimes what we end up doing is that we lower scripture to match our experiences instead of seeking God so that our experiences match his scripture. I don't want to lower my theology to what I can see with my eyes, what I could touch with my hands, what I could explain with my mind. But I want God to show me himself in such a way where I'm at a loss for words. But that's what my heart is really hungering for. Not because I haven't experienced it, not because I haven't tasted and seen that he was good, but because I know he's that much better than what I've seen thus far. And that's what's really stirring in my heart these days is, God, in 2017, Lord, I want to see you like never before. And here's the amazing thing about God. In James chapter 5, there's a, a, a passage about prayer. It says, if you're sick, then, then pray, because the prayer of faith, God will answer. 
Right? If, 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 if you need to confess sins, confess sins. It goes on and on and on. And here's the part that I love the most. It says, Elijah, who was an ordinary person, just like us, prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed that it would rain and then it rained. I mean, we, when we read Elijah, I mean, there's crazy stories about him where he fights the false prophets. And it's kind of a crazy story where he's at this mountain, Camel, Cam, that has Camel, Carmel, Carmel, right? I promise I went to seminary, okay? Where he's at Mount Carmel and, and he's there battling 900 false prophets and they're having a duel on who is the real God. So he says, you guys go first. I mean, there's 900 of you. They're the prophets of Baal. And this is the, the God who answers with fire is the real God. So there's a showdown. So like, we got this. There's 900 of us. So they do their thing, but yet nothing is happening. And I love Elijah because Elijah, he's like, you know, he's a prankster. He's like, maybe your God is sleeping. You know, try screaming loud. It's like, yo, that's a good point. So he starts screaming louder. And still nothing is happening. He's like, maybe you guys need to start cutting yourselves. Like, good point, bro. And they literally start cutting themselves because they're trying to get the attention of their so-called God. So they go on and on and on, and nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. So he goes to the altar, and check this out. He says, go get all the water you have, and let's douse this altar right now. Like I said, it hadn't rained for three years. So it's not like there's plenty of water to get. There isn't a faucet they can run to. But whatever water they have, it's precious. But they're like, all right, they do it. And Elijah says, God, won't you reveal yourself? And at that moment, fire falls. And here's the thing about the fire of God. It doesn't fall on an empty altar. The fire of God doesn't fall on an empty altar. If you want the fire of God to fall, you present yourself as a living sacrifice. You keep yourself there until God comes. You douse water if you have to. But the Bible says, if you ask, he will answer. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. I mean, if that's what God's word says, then I will do whatever it takes to see that take place. Not just in my life, but that I would see it in your church, in glorious ones, in our region, in this generation, for, for the generations to come. Because God, if you really are who you say that you are, then I want to see it with my own eyes. Like never before. I don't want a secondhand testimony any longer. I don't want to just quote Elisha, but I want to see it today, right? In your schools, in your families. I mean, do we still serve the God of miracles or is that just a myth? I want to fight to see that take place because I know what the word of God says he is. And here's the thing about God. God is as good as he says that he is. He is as good as he says that he is. We might not see his goodness, but we live in a fallen world with fallen people. But it doesn't change the fact that God is good. I refuse to sacrifice the goodness of God on the altar of my disappointment because he didn't answer my prayer. I don't know why some prayers don't get answered, but I refuse to change my opinion about God. I refuse to let go of what I know about God simply because there's questions I can't answer. I mean, if God is infinite, then it makes sense that our finite minds, our finite abilities can't comprehend the infinite. I mean, let's say all of us are cups, right? Is there any way a cup can contain an ocean? Right? Is it? I mean, it's not like trick questions. Like, well, according to my calculation, like, no, like, it can't. 
But we're not meant to understand and fully comprehend. We're supposed to get lost, to sink in the grandness, the vastness of who God is. I don't need an explanation if I'm lost in his wonder. I believe God wants to restore the wonder of who he is. And and oftentimes the way we get there is when we are able to handle faith and mystery and tension. You know that the only way bridges work is the fact that there's tension. But bridges actually only exist in, like, in physics and stuff like that because there's tension. In that tension, we're able to walk to God, that tension of faith and mystery. I mean, if you and I could fully understand everything about God, then we have made our creation rather than our creator. God is inviting us as sons and daughters to understand the fullness of who he is. I want you to know he doesn't want to just fill you. He doesn't want you to just overflow, but he wants you to get lost in the fullness of who he is. And I want you to know that you're not too young to do that, amen? So the thing that's been burning on my heart is, God, are you really who you say that you are, or are you just someone I've read about? Are you just someone, because I want to see it, amen? Who here is hungry to see that for yourselves and are willing to do whatever it takes to see that with your own eyes? that you would hear him speak to you like never before. Because I believe that what God wants to do in this place as well tonight is that he really wants to honor hunger. He really wants to honor hunger. Proverbs says that to those who are full, that even they, they loathe even honey. Those who are full loathe even honey, but those who are hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. God wants to honor hunger because you know what? If you're hungry, Maybe Pastor Joel will rebuke you and it doesn't feel nice. And it probably won't because rebukes never do. But if you're hungry, you'll keep your heart in a position of humility instead of offense. I believe God is raising up a generation where we are unoffendable because we're willing to honor others. I want to see God move in this generation. I will give my life to see God move in our generation. Amen. That's what's been burning on my God. Are you really who you say that you are? Or are you just someone I've read about? I want to do whatever it takes. I mean, if I need to leap, take a leap of faith, if I need to step out of the boat, like whatever, Lord, just show me and I'll do it. Even if I drown, even if I fail, even if I look like a fool, I'll do whatever it takes so that I could see you for myself. Because here's the the thing, every single person in this world is a fool for something. They'll sell themselves for something. They'll pay a sacrifice for something, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a job, a career, a school, a college, a relationship. People are willing to give themselves to get something they want. Everyone is willing to look like a fool. Just name your price. But I've made a decision in my heart where the only person I want to be a fool for is Jesus. I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? Right? That's what John Wimber preaches. He's the one who founded Vineyard and and all the worship movements that we see is birthed from that. Is every I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? There's a price on your soul, but what is it? If I'm going to give my soul to someone, it's going to be the one who paid the greatest price for it. And I want you to know no one paid a greater price than Jesus. That's what I want to live for. That's what I'm really passionate to see. That's what my heart is that you guys would see. Like we reject the lies of the world that says you guys are too young to walk in the spirit of God. 
And if you look in scripture, it's always the, the generation, the younger generation that gets, a, that gets the revelation of who God is and runs with it. Like I said, maturity isn't how old you are, what degree you have, what your salary is, but it's simply your dependence on God. God's not looking for the brightest, the best, the best looking. I mean, he called me, but you know, like, I don't know. God is just simply looking for those who will say yes, right? How many of you guys remember recess? Right. Some of you guys just like had recess like last week at school, you know. But in recess, there's, there's, there's two captains. And they both take turns picking who they want on their team. And we all know who first pick is going to be. It's usually that kid that's in the fourth grade, but he's shaving already. You know what I mean? Like he takes steroids for lunch. And like, how are you six foot three? And why do you have a goatee? He's like, don't worry about it, bro. He's like, okay. You know, like, look like you could beat up my dad. Usually that kid ends up being picked first, and then on and on and on it goes until finally there's only one kid left. And oftentimes that kid doesn't even get picked. He gets a lot. It's like, fine, you have him, I'll take him. Like, they don't even get picked at the end. But here's the amazing thing about God is that God doesn't choose. God doesn't pick like the world picked. He doesn't pick or choose like the world picks. He's not looking for the best, the brightest, the most talented. He's just looking for those who will say yes in their hearts to God, no matter the cost. I mean, just look at the, those that, that Jesus calls to be his disciples. You know, Peter, John, James, these guys, these knuckleheads. I think I can relate to Peter. You know, he's hashtag relatable. Like at one moment, you think like he's got it figured out. Jesus asked the disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? They're like, some people think you're a prophet, you're, you're a teacher, you're, you're Elijah. And then he's like, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And Jesus is like, whoa, this did not come from man, but only by the revelation of the father. I mean, at that point, Peter's giving high fives to all his brothers. Like, yo, what I say, I told you he's the son of God, right? But like before you know it, Jesus is rebuking him. Like, get behind me, Satan. Like, imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, yo, not only do I want you to get out of my way, but you're Satan. I mean, that's Peter where he messes up. He, he, he gets it right. And when Jesus needed him the most, he betrays him. But yet that's who God uses to bring 3,000 to faith in one day. Can you imagine glorious ones blowing up so big that you have 3,000 new people in the, new, in the youth group next Sunday? Like, for me, I'm an introvert. I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving churches. I can't handle this. You know, like, see, yeah, like, God's moving, but so am I. You know, like, I'm moving on, you know. But God uses these people, why? Not because they're great, not because they're talented, but simply because even in the midst of their failures, they still had a yes in their heart to God. They still had a yes in their heart to God. And above all, they had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know the game changer for your life, the game changer for this ministry, isn't you guys having better programs, doing more bubble balls, right? It's not having better retreats. 
But it's the Holy Spirit that's the game changer. It's the Holy Spirit living in you that will change everything that you ever thought possible. Because how many of you know it's hard to leave, you know, friends behind, right? How many of you know it's hard to leave Xbox behind, right? For how many of you, it was hard to leave your cell phones behind, right? Some of you guys are so addicted. Like you saw mine and you're like, please, let me just, let me just touch the home button, please. You know, like. You know, you're trying to put in your password. You know, like, guys, this is my phone, not yours. You know, like, just stop. You're going to get me locked out. But all of these things in our own effort, in our own strength, in our own ability, it'll be impossible to do it. But if you have the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying it's going to be easier. I'm not going to say it's instant. But now you have a comforter. You know why you need a comforter? You know why you need the Holy Spirit who's a comforter? Because he calls you outside your comfort zone. If you just live in your comfort zone, guess what? You don't need a comforter because you're quite comfortable in your comfort zone. But if you're going to step into the unknown, if you're going to not just sing oceans, but actually live it out, you're going to need the Holy Spirit, the comforter. That's That's what's enabled Peter and the disciples to do what they did was because they had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Because they saw Jesus die. They heard news of Jesus dying on the cross. But let's say there's someone that you loved, like your best friend, the one that you thought was everything. Right? Let's use me as an example because I don't want to, like, wish anyone death. Like, all right, Lord, I'll use myself, you know? Let's say I die, like right here. Like, first of all, I'll be traumatic. Sorry, this is a very traumatic example, right? Let's say I die right here, and you guys all saw it. You, you guys called 911. Danny tried to give me mouth to mouth, but, but even though I'm dead, I'm like, nah, bros, don't. Like, let me die, you know? Just let me die. Don't even try that. So I die. You guys see me die. But let's say this coming Sunday, all of a sudden, I show up at your youth group, and I start preaching. How many of you guys are going to be on your Snapchat and be like, OMG, I saw this guy die and now he's standing right in front of me. Like, are you guys with me? Like, let's think about this, like, rationally. If that happened, how many of you know that would kind of change your life forever? I mean, that's what happened to these disciples. They had an encounter with Jesus that they saw die. And then they saw them with their own eyes. I mean, they were so freaked out. They're like, are you a ghost? And Jesus is like, yo, if I'm a ghost, then put your fingers through my scars. And they're like, oh, okay, he's not a ghost. That's, that feels like real flesh right there. But that's what happened to these disciples. They had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Not just any Jesus, but the Jesus that was resurrected to glory. But here's the amazing thing. You might say, well, of course they, be- they would believe in Jesus because they saw with their own eyes. Of course they would believe in Jesus because they touched him with their own hands. But here's what Jesus says, that blessed are those who will, who will come later on, though, though they do not see with their own eyes, they still believe. Blessed are they. You know that we're more blessed than them because we don't have the evidence right before us, but yet we're choosing to believe. That's what Jesus says. And above all, that same Peter, not only did he have an encounter with Jesus, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news about the Holy Spirit. He's still alive and active today. He's still alive and active today. 
We could try to put God in a box. We could try to put the Holy Spirit in a box and say, you know what, tongues, I don't know about that or, or this and that or whatever. But it's time we allow God to be God. It's time we allow God to be God instead of staying in our comfort zone of what religious things makes us feel nice and what doesn't. It's time we start letting go of control and allow the Holy Spirit to be who he really is. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He is God. Amen. We believe as Christians a triune God, the Trinity, which basically is, is three persons and one being. It's one of those mysteries of faith. I don't know how to explain it. Don't ask me because I don't know. My pastor Joel doesn't know. He's, he's more brilliant than I. But he doesn't know either because it's simply a mystery. We just know what it is through the revelation of Scripture. So we could try to have human examples of what it is like. And we could think of water, for example, where it's, it's one substance. I don't, I don't know what the scientific term for what water element. I don't, I don't even, I'm, not, I'm just going to stop right now, okay? Didn't learn that one in seminary, you know? But there's water, for example, and water exists as liquid, solid, and gas. Though it's one, it exists in three different forms. And obviously, that's not a complete illustration of what the Trinity, Trinity is like, but it's something for us to help us understand. Another one is an egg. I know, I guys, I, I ruined eggs for you forever, but might as well go all the way. What exactly is an egg? Is it the shell? Is it the egg white? Is it the yolk? Like, what part of it is an egg? It's actually all three that makes it an egg. Are you with me? I mean, these aren't a full example or full picture because it's still a mystery but it's helping us scratch the surface on what God is like. So there's the Father. And we talked about him um, throughout this retreat. We talked about Jesus. The third person of God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit isn't a feeling. It's not an energy. I mean, we think the Holy Spirit's like the force, you know? He's like, oh my gosh, he's moving. Like, I feel him. Man, that guy just fell over. That's, you know, like we think it's the force. But the Holy Spirit is a person. What makes the Holy Spirit a person is, number one, he's God. But as a person, he also has three things, a will, an intellect, and emotion. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he has an emotion, he has a will, he has intellect. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I believe that God wants every single one of us to experience him, to be filled with him. Because that's what happened to Peter that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in order for Peter and all of his friends and the disciples, the 120 praying in the upper room, if there were going to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ, that they were going to accomplish the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. They couldn't do it with their human understanding. They couldn't do it with their programs. They, they couldn't do it with their talents, their abilities. They could only do it with God. I mean, there comes a point where natural no longer works and we need supernatural. Did you guys know that our faith is a supernatural faith? Amen. It's a supernatural faith. That's what God has called us to. Christianity isn't a moral code. It's not a belief system, but it's living with Jesus Christ. 
Christianity is following Jesus, amen? Did you know that Jesus is the only normal Christian to ever live? I mean, it's not, it's not a trick statement. Like, Jesus is the only normal Christian to ever live. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. The Bible says that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. Everything you want to know what God is like, you find the answer in Jesus. If we know what his heart is like, what he's able to do, and, and, and when we see Jesus, his life, his actions, his heart, his speeches, his sermons, his, his compassion, we're able to say, that's what the Father is like. That's what God is like. Jesus is the only normal Christian to ever live. And he's the one we're called to follow. Amen. I want you to know everything Jesus did, he did it as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that though Jesus was God, Philippians chapter 2, he laid down everything about his godness, his divinity, so that he would humble himself to become a man to come to this earth. So, God, so Jesus is both fully God and fully man. It's another mystery of the faith. So when Jesus comes and he does his miracles, I want you to know he doesn't do it as God. He actually does it as man anointed by the Holy Spirit. Before he does a single miracle, Jesus shows up. John the Baptist is preaching. He's doing his thing. Jesus is like, yo, baptize me. John the Baptist is like, no, you're, I'm so unworthy. I'm, I'm unfit to tie the sandals on your feet. But Jesus is like, this fulfills all righteousness. So you got it. He's like, fine, I'll do it. So Jesus is like, fine, all right, let's do this. So they baptize Jesus. He goes in the water. He comes back out. A voice says from heaven, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And at that moment, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus and anoints him. From that place, Jesus goes on to preach, teach, and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Every single one of us are part of the same kingdom. Every single one of us are co-laborers and co-heirs with Christ in the same kingdom. Amen? Danny, during his testimony, said that we don't live for victory, but we live from it. Jesus won it all, and we get to share in that victory with him. Amen? But this is kind of what the victory that Jesus has won for us is like. The Cleveland Cavaliers won the championship this past season, right? LeBron James in the house, right? Who booed? I'm just kidding, right? It doesn't matter. It's your opinion, my opinion. We both love Jesus. Amen, right? But LeBron James is the superstar. Kyrie Irving made the game. Why, why is it getting dimmer, right? Um, not a LeBron fan over there, I guess, right? So we know who all the superstars are on the team. But did you know, you guys know the singer Usher, right? Like, I don't know the last song he had, but y'all know Usher, right? Did you know that Usher got a championship ring too? He got a championship ring too, but he's not a basketball player. He's simply part of the organization. Like he's part like a minority owner in some kind of way. He played zero minutes in any of the finals game. But when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the championship and they got the rings, they gave one to Usher too, who had the same amount of points in an NBA game as me. Right? But that's kind of what the victory Jesus won for us. It's like he's did everything. Jesus won MVP of the universe. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. He resurrected again. He got the victory. He got the championship ring. And he comes to us. He's like, yo, I got you one too. And we're like, but we didn't even play. 
We scored zero points. It's like, but you're still on my team. That's what victory is. We've done nothing to earn it, to prove it, to perform. But guess what? Jesus won it all, and he isn't shy to share it with us. The Bible says that God doesn't share his glory with another. But check this out. We are not another. Amen? We are one with God. He shares his glory with us. He shares the glory with glorious one. Amen? But that should have been the loudest amen, but whatever. You know, like, I'm going to keep going, you know? Right? It's late. But... That's what the victory is. Jesus does all of these things to model for us what life in the kingdom is like. So every time Jesus opens the eyes of a blind, he does it as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Father. If Jesus performed miracles as God, then he set us up to fail. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his disciples. You will do greater works than I do because I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, he'll send you another, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that every single one of us in this room would do greater works than he does. Amen? Amen. He's not lying. He's not like throwing us a bone because he's like, man, these guys are so simple. They're so messed up. Like, I got to give them some kind of encouragement. Like, you'll do more than me. It's like, no, they won't, Holy Spirit. You know, like, he actually meant it. But if he did what he did as a God, then obviously there's no way we could do greater works than he does. But if he did it, if he did it as a man, as a human being, as a person, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with the Father, then he's simply setting a model for us to follow. Because you can do it too. If Jesus did it, I want you to know you can do it too. Everything he did, it was to show what the kingdom of God is like. The gospel that Jesus taught was the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation is the starting point, but that's the entrance into the gospel of the kingdom, which is God's kingdom has now come to reverse all the effects of the kingdom of darkness. So in God's kingdom, people go from bondage to freedom. People go from darkness to light. People go from death to life. Amen. That's good news. Amen. So these people are able to experience what life in the kingdom is like. And God is now extending that baton to us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But did you know he also said that about you? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then in the same way, he said that to his disciples. And he says that to us, that every single one of you are light. That's who you are. You are the light of the world. And when light comes, darkness has to go. I think oftentimes people get so intimidated by the darkness because they forget that they're light. We get so scared of how dark the generation is getting, how wicked this world is. But guess what? There's an answer and solution to that, and that's you and I, to be the salt and light of the world. You ever go to a dark room before? It's super dark. There's like no windows. It's cloudy outside too. But you turn on the light, but instantly, like the darkness goes away. You with me? I've never once walked into a dark room, turned on the light, and the light's like, no, man, it's too dark in here. I'm out. Right? Like, I've never even seen the light and darkness, like, battle it for a little bit. It's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if this room is going to get light or dark. As soon as you turn on the lights, darkness instantly goes away. You and I are called to be light in this dark world. Maybe the world is getting darker, but guess what? That's good news. Because if we're light, darkness is good for business. If you and I are light, darkness then is good for business. 
We're meant to shine who Jesus is in a broken and dark world. You might say, man, I don't have what it takes. Good. You're not supposed to. It's the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says that when you're in places where you're in prison or or you're being persecuted, you don't have an answer. The one who lives inside of you will speak through you. Many of us, we don't know what that's like because we refuse to even put ourselves in those situations where we're stretched that far. Sometimes if you want to see God move like never before, you got to move in ways like you've never moved before. God wants to fill you with his spirit because you're the salt and light of the world. That's who you are. You are the light of the world. I want you to know that not only does God want to use you, but in his heart, you're worth it. Amen. You're worth it to him. Let's say one day I get married. Amen. Like no, no improvements since day one, right? Pastor Ryan got me though. Say I got married. I have a pastoral salary. Well, let's say God multiplies it tenfold. Amen. Right? Hallelujah. You know? Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you know. I meet the one, I buy her this expensive ring. I buy her this expensive ring, and she wears it all the time because, you know, she better, you know. And she's cooking my favorite meal, so she takes off the ring, she's cleaning up, and by accident, let's say she throws all the, uh, you know, whatever out, including the ring. How many of you know that I'll be at the dumpster in an hour looking for that ring, right? Because I spent tons of money on that ring. Here's the thing. You're willing to dive through the trash to find the treasure because it's worth it. You might say, man, I'm so messed up. I'm so broken. Pastor Sam, if you only knew my background, if you only knew my family situation, you know God couldn't use me. But guess what? He's an expert at diving through the trash to find the treasure. He's calling forth the gold, the treasure within you, and saying, you are my glorious one. The one I will share my glory with so that the world would know who I really am. Because this is what I believe with all my heart, that every single person in this world, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your classmates, your whatever, wants a king like Jesus. Every single person wants a king like Jesus. They just don't know what he's like yet. Because who wouldn't want a king that would lay down his life for you and I? Who wouldn't want a king that would love us in our most broken state? Who wouldn't want a king that could actually forgive us of our sins and say that we're now forgiven and free to call us to the life that we're always meant to live instead of the life that we wish and hope and beg for? Who doesn't want a king like that? That's who God has called us into the kingdom of so we could show the world what he's like. I don't care what popular opinion says, what social media says, because I want to know who Jesus is. And if I get a taste for myself, then I could tell the people around me. Here's the thing about advertisement. The greatest advertisement are satisfied customers. Like if you've watched a great movie, like you're going to tell all your friends. Right? Let's say you just watched Rogue One. Right? Once again, this is an opinion thing. Like don't dim the lights, please. Okay. <laughs> Like, let's say you watched Rogue One and it was your favorite movie. Like, you loved it, right? You're going to start telling all your friends, like, yo, I guess what movie I just saw in IMAX, too. Like, I was willing to pay that IMAX money for this movie, Star Wars. I'm like, what? Was it that? It's like, yeah, you got to go watch it. I'll even go with you again. They're like, all right, let's do it. How many of you know if you're that person, Star Wars ain't cutting you a check, amen? Like, they're not going to be like, thank you so much. Or telling your friends about Star Wars, here's $5. Like, they don't even care who you are. 
right? But if you're satisfied, if you enjoyed it, if you were like, man, this is amazing, you just tell everyone without them asking you to do that. I mean, if you understand who God is, guess what? You can't sh- help but share him with your friends. Even if they're like, man, God is whack, God is whatever, but, but you don't know him like I do. You haven't experienced him like I've experienced him. Just check him out with me. You know, come to church with me. Just, just, just hang out with me because you don't know what he's like. I know him. Like if you only knew, because the greatest advertisement is satisfied customers because God is able to satisfy our deepest longings, amen? Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus says he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. So does, he not just satisfies us, but he makes us hungry for more. He not only satisfies us, but he makes us hungry for more. He's the living water that quenches our thirst, but yet makes us thirst for more. And if people only knew him like I knew him. But the thing is, we can't give what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have. But I believe with all my heart that God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit tonight. That God wants to baptize you with fire tonight. You're not too young to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just for holy people. It's not just for leaders. It's not just for pastors. But it's for you. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead now lives in you. Not just your leaders, not just your pastors, not once you've read the Bible in X amount of times, but as long as you believe, you have access to the Holy Spirit. The only qualifier for the Holy Spirit is belief. Believe and you have the Holy Spirit. And here's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit. You don't got to feel it to believe it. You don't got to feel it to believe it because there are times in my life where I feel the presence of God. Like I feel the Holy Spirit on my hands and I know when to pray or what to pray. And I'll be honest, there are times where I'm like, I don't even sense him at all. But I can still operate in faith. A couple years ago, I was just in the most broken season of my life. It's tremendous darkness. I'll be honest, during that season, I just went through a lot of hurts, a lot of brokenness. And I too struggled with depression, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts. Just a dark season in my life, just tremendous hurt, tremendous pain. And during that season, I just didn't know what to do. I was just desperate for God. So one of my professors, he's he's like crazy, like for Jesus, not like literally crazy. But he would go to a monastery like every two months just to seek God. And this one week, he was going for an entire week. And so I said, can I come with you? I'm just desperate. He said, sure, come. So I went, and and I was just praying, just seeking the Lord. This really hurt. And and I shared here that God doesn't want the right answers. He wants the authenticity of your heart. So during my, I was there for a whole weekend, and most of my prayers was just angry. My God, how do I even know you love me? God, do you even care about me? God, are you even good? God, do, do you even love me? And, and God answered me. He's like, Sam, look at the cross. And I was like, God, I wasn't looking for an answer, man. Like, let me just complain. You know, like, why are you intervening, yo? Like, let me just be me. God spoke to me, but that's kind of how it was. I went to this monastery in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts, and it was a Franciscan monk uh, monastery. They're, they're Christians, but they're, they're very devoted. They would literally have like eight services a day like every day of their lives. Like they would have eight services a day and I would be in the chapel with them. They would do their prayers. 
And I think they hated me because I was that like one Asian guy all the way in the back, like crying every time they're trying to predict, oh my gosh, him again, like he's ruining our prayers. I'll just be in the back weeping, just broken. And during that week, God led me to fast that entire week, right? Look at me, like fasting ain't easy, you know, like fasting ain't easy. I'd rather feast than fast, you know? But God led me to fast, not a meal, but a whole week. I'm like, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. I'm desperate. But my professor wasn't fasting. I'm fasting, but my professor ain't fasting. And this dude wanted to grab ice cream every single night. He wanted to grab ice cream every single night. And he would ask me to join him. Like, rude? You know, like, first of all, rude? You know what I mean? Like, but I'm not going to, like, punk him and be like, no, nah, I ain't going. I'm fasting. I'm holy. And he's like, like, all right, sure. You know, so I'll go. And he'll eat ice cream in front of me every single night. And that's how I knew self-control was the fruit of the Spirit. Amen, right? Like, and every single night he would do that. And, and finally, the, the, the last couple days were coming. And I'm like, you know what? The day I end my fast, I'm going to eat this ice cream. Like, nothing is going to stop me from eating this ice cream. Like, GPS don't work there. Navigation don't work there. You don't get cell service there. But I'm so desperate for ice cream, I memorize how to get there, okay? Like, I me- it's like you go down this, this, this one road that has no signs, then you go a little bit and t- turn to right where the cows are. Like, I memorized it because I'm desperate for this ice cream. So then my final day comes. I go, and as I'm driving by, I see this... Um, nice pond area I'm like oh after I eat ice cream I'm gonna just hang out there worship journal do my thing so I eat ice cream I knew God was real you know like okay God wouldn't be real if ice cream didn't exist you know so I eat ice cream I go to this pond place and I'm just there and I was kind of annoyed because I honestly wanted to be by myself I just wanted to be by myself, but there's actually an older man there fishing already. I put on my headphones, I'm doing my thing, but this old man kept talking to me. Like he didn't know the universal language of if my headphones are on, it means please don't talk to me, right? But he kept talking to me and talking about, all right, I took my headphones off. And I kid you not, before I know it, like me and him are BFF. His name is Ralph. He was a man in his 60s. Like me and him are best friends. A couple hours go by. We're sharing our life story. He's actually teaching me how to fish. It's crazy. Like we just started sharing life together. In the middle of it, he would always sit down and and he would turn to me and and say, Sam, I'm so sorry. I don't have an extra chair for you. I'm like, it's okay. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. He kept sitting down and and I was standing and he apologized. And, And finally he pulled up his pant leg and he showed me his ankle. It was swollen the size of a grapefruit. Like, he had one of those, you know, like, old man shoes that's, like, Velcro. You know what I mean? Like, he couldn't Velcro the shoe because his foot and ankle was so swollen. And he's like, yeah, Sam, 40 years ago, I was on this hunting trip. I was up in a tree. The branches broke, and I fell. And I shattered my ankle so badly that the bones, you know, poked through my skin. Like, that's how bad it was. And obviously, during that time, there isn't cell phones or anything. So he told me that he was there for eight hours until finally his friend found him. And then once his friend found him, they got a helicopter, you know, flew him to the ER. And he told me that for, for the last 40 years, he's had multiple surgeries. He had screws put in, screws taken out. 
And yet at the end of the day, nothing made his ankle feel better. And he turned to me and said, Sam, I feel like the only thing I can do is to just fuse my ankle because it hurts so bad. But he had actually been holding off on it because to fuse his ankle meant he couldn't like move his foot like this anymore. Like, it would just be solid, you know, steady. And he was holding off on it because if he fused his ankle, he wouldn't be able to drive anymore. He's like, Sam, I think that's what I got to do, though, because it's just not getting better. I always have pain. Always had pain. I turned to him, and this is literally what I said. I said, Ralph, that, that sucks. Like, that's literally what I said. I was like, Ralph, that sucks. I'm so sorry to hear that. And I said, I believe that God wants to heal you. I believe God wants to heal you. Can I pray for you? You ever say something that you regret? Like, I regretted that. As soon as I said, I'm like, why did I just, why did I say that? And oftentimes, sometimes when you ask people for prayer, they politely decline, you know? Like, can I pray for you? No, it's okay. But he's like, all right, sure. So I'm like, okay, there's no backing out now. I'm like, okay, I guess I got to do it. And like I said, I was in a really broken state. I was messed up. I was hurting. I even had a bad attitude right before. And I'll be honest, like, I didn't have a lot of faith, but I'm like, I'm just going to risk. I'm just going to believe. I put my hand on his ankle. I prayed. And before I knew it, instantly, the foot that was swollen, his ankle that was swollen, the size of a grapefruit disappeared. It disappeared. Like, I'm not lying to you. It disappeared. So he's freaking out. I'm freaking out, but I'm playing it cool. Like, I told you, like, what I say. <laughs> I told you my God is good, you know. He's freaking out. He's like, it's like, Wow. I can't believe this just happened. So he was actually able to put the Velcro on his shoe, like, back, you know? He's like, this is amazing. But he's like, but it still kind of hurts. So I was like, how bad does it hurt? He's like, yeah, I feel pain every time I step. I was like, God wants to heal all your pain too. Second regret. Like, why couldn't I just been satisfied with the swelling being gone? Like, why am I trying to push the envelope right now, right? But here's the thing about Ralph. Like, he just experienced a miracle, so he's down for anything. I'd be like, Ralph, God wants you to fly, bro. Start flapping. He's like, really? And he would have done it because, like, he just saw a miracle happen. He's like, really? God wants to get rid of my pain? Please pray for me right now. So I'm like, okay. Put my hand on his foot once again. I prayed. And he said that a cooling sensation came over his foot, and he said the pain was about an eight or a nine, but now it's like a one or a two. He started walking around amazed, and I'm still, like, trying to play it cool, like, trying to make sense of it all because I'm not at a church. I didn't preach. There's no worship team behind me. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I've only heard about these things. He's walking around, and he's like, Sam, I feel like my ankle's so good. I'm going to go step on those rocks over there. There's a boulders there. I'm going to try stepping on it. And this is what he said to me. He said, Sam, I haven't been able to walk on rocks in years because it's so bad. Of course, this dude chooses, like, the biggest boulder to choose. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's going to hurt himself. He's going to sue me. So I'm trying to find, like, cell service. He's like, oh, my gosh, how's this going to work out? He walks over to the rock. He actually gets on it, and he says, I have no pain. I haven't done this in years. The same foot that was swollen minutes ago, he literally stands on it with one foot like this. He's like, I'm healed. In that moment, I had the tremendous privilege and honor to lead him to Christ. From that moment, I heard his story. He told me that he grew up as an orphan, that he never knew his parents. 
He told me that the reason why he was fishing was because his second wife had Alzheimer's and he was there fishing for her as well as other widows he knows. Because his first wife died of an illness and now his second wife has Alzheimer's and there's other widows in the town that he just fish and provides for. I mean, that's the type of man Ralph was. And in that moment, he said, I just simply told him that you might have never known your earthly father, but you had a heavenly father who's known you all along. I want you to know there's nothing special about me. There's nothing particular about me. I'm just foolish enough to risk and believe and do what Jesus told me to do. I'll be honest, there are times when I pray for people and I've seen people get healed. I've seen miracles with my own eyes. There are times when I pray for people and nothing happens. Guess what? I'm not the healer. I've even prayed for people where they said that Pastor Sam, it actually got worse. I'm like, y'all, listen, like, I don't know. You know, like, <laughs> I ain't the healer. You're like, I don't know why God answers some prayers or he doesn't. Like, even for example, right, like, just being honest with you. Like, there were times when, when, when there were situations where people were literally in the ICU dying. They asked me to come to pray. I'm like, I don't have faith for that. I go and I pray and literally that person ends up dying. It was a 21-year-old a couple of years ago. I'm like, I don't know what to make of it. But I'm not going to let an unanswered prayer stop me from praying because I still believe God is who he says he is. God is still who he says he is. The Holy Spirit is still moving like he said he would move. I might not see the fullness of it, but I'm not going to settle until I do. Because the word of God is really the word of God or it's not at all. If the word of God says it, then I'll do whatever it takes. I'll pray for a million people. And a million could say that it got worse. But guess what? I might get discouraged, honestly. I might want to quit to be real. But I'll keep going because this is who God says he is. And I'm willing to look like a fool. You could put a fool for Christ on my gravestone and that would be the greatest honor you can give me. I'll do what he tells me to do because he is who he says he is or he isn't at all. I want to know the Holy Spirit in that way because you know what? That's an amazing story, right? But I refuse to die with only one story. Not for the glory of San Juan, but so that we would know who Jesus really is. That we would know what the Father is really like. That we would know the Holy Spirit tangibly within our own hearts. That we would sense the fire burning within us even when the storms of life come. Even when the waves of disappointment come, that the fire is still burning. It might be an ember, but guess what? If I keep fanning the flame, it'll grow. Whatever it takes to see that happen, I'll do it. I'll be the sacrifice, Lord. I need to see you for myself more than ever before because I don't want yesterday's miracle to fuel me for today. I want one today. Amen? I want to see God move tonight, amen? Not next retreat, not next week, not whatever. I want to see him tonight. Because if we could see him move tonight, why settle? Why wait when he's right at our footstep right there? The woman with the issue of blood simply said, if I just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. And here's the amazing thing about that story. Jesus is in a crowd where mad people are touching him. But yet he is able to notice when someone grabs him in faith. He's like, well, power just left me. I want to reach out like that. Desperately, with passion, with conviction. Maybe I don't have enough faith, but I can still reach. I might not have enough faith, but I can still pray. I might not have the strength, but I can still open up my Bible. 
I might not be able to read a chapter, but I can still read a verse. I might not be able to read the full verse, but I can say, my God. Whatever it takes for me to see God like never before. Because I don't want to do things in the same old way, end up with the same old results. I want to see God do what he said he would do. This is what A.W. Tozer says about the Holy Spirit. That if you actually look in the book of Acts, the early church, 95% of what they did, they couldn't have done it without the Holy Spirit. But the church today could do 95% of what it does without him at all. Just as a body without breath is a corpse, the body of Christ without the Holy Spirit is a corpse. I want the Holy Spirit like never before. I'll do whatever it takes to see him. But the first step is just believe. Just believe. Like I said, God honors hunger. I believe he wants to do that tonight. He'll honor your hunger. He'll honor your level of faith. Whatever it is, no matter how big it is or small it is, it's not about comparing. It's not about trying to make it grow, but just offering what you have. There's a story where there's a boy who has two fish and five loaves. How many of you guys know that story? Where he comes and he offers that fully to Jesus, and Jesus then multiplies it to feed the thousands. But how many of you know that two fish and five loaves isn't a lot? Right? It's not a lot. And that's the thing about Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in a lot. He just wants your all. He doesn't care how much you have. He just wants it all. He doesn't want a lot. He just wants your all. You might say, I only have this this much faith. Then good, just give all you have. I only have this much energy. Good, just give all you have. He's not interested in a lot. He just wants your all. And when you give God your all, he multiplies it. And the Bible says that there was things left over. How many of you want to see that in your life for your friends, your family, your ministry, for this region? I want to see revival and nothing less, man. That's what I'm giving my life for. Not because it's comfortable, not because it's easy, not because it brings me fame or riches. It doesn't at all. Like, I sell hoodies and stuff. Like, I'm in mad debt. Please buy some. Like, please, you know? Please. But if that's who God says he is, man, if he is the one that has the words of life, then I'm going to follow him. Not because it's the popular thing to do. Not because it's the right thing to do. Not because someone told me I have to, but because I know for myself that he alone has the words of life. There's life not in anything else but him. If that's who he is, then whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, Lord, here am I. Like I said, you're not too young to be used by God. You're not too young to lay your hands on the sick and see them get healed. You're not too young to to, to pray the words of God over your friends, your family. You're not too young to stand in the gap for your parents and contend for a marriage that's falling apart. You're not too young to contend for your family where finances are few and you believe in God that he would still be provider, not based on circumstances, but based on his goodness. He is still good, no matter what the circumstances say, no matter what the news reports that He's good, and that's an altar I'm willing to die on. That's a hill where I'm willing to fight and die on, is that God is good to my dying breath, that He is good. If that's you tonight, just stand up. Let's present our lives to God with all that we have, because the worthiness of Jesus demands it all.
The worthiness of Jesus demands our whole life, not our convenience, not what makes sense. That even in the face of disappointment, that we will lay down our lives because the worthiness of Jesus demands it all. That we would know for ourselves how worthy he is of our all and still yet he deserves more. But even if we don't give him a lot, he'll still accept our all because he loves us. If that's you, just raise your hand, just pray out, just cry out to God and say, here I am. Fill me with your spirit, God. I don't want emotions, I want an encounter. I don't want an experience, I want an encounter. I don't want natural, I want supernatural. Just start crying out to God, ask him. All you got to do is believe and ask. Jesus says, if you who are are earthly, if, if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? Right, Kyle quoted it before, that those who ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it in abundance. Ask for the Holy Spirit. If that's you, if you want God, just ask him to fill you with all that you have, not because of an emotion, but because there's something burning in your heart. It might not be a flame. It might be an ember, but still give that to the Lord and he'll light that like never before. Let's lift our voices. Let's lift our hands. Let's do whatever it takes that we would know for ourselves that God is who he says he is. God, may this be a ministry where we die. Lord, that we were willing to die, lay down our lives so that we could see you move in our generation, God, in our region, God. That we would be the ones foolish to go out on a limb saying that your word is real, that your word is truth, God. We don't want to settle for anything less than revival. We don't want to settle for anything less than you, God. We want revival and nothing less. God, we want you to come tonight. We want you to come tonight, that you would fill us. Just ask him to fill you. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. He's here. He wants all of you. All you got to do is invite him to come. Invite him to come. Ask him to touch you. Ask him to fill you. Leaders, can I ask you to go find your students? Lay hands on them. If you're here, do whatever you need to get on your knees, get on your face, get on the floor, lift your hands, jump, shout, pray, whatever. Just posture yourselves that you would receive the Holy Spirit tonight. That you'll be willing to stay here until God touches you, until God meets you. God, raise up this generation, raise up this ministry, God, as burning ones for you. God, as burning ones for you, because Lord Jesus, your worthiness demands our all. Your worthiness demands our all, God. Your worthiness, God, demands our all, and we give you our everything, Lord. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.